straight talk about the issues you care about the most. It's LaVise Dinkleville, Empowerment for the Culture. Now, your hosts, Dr. Will LaVise and Dr. Eric Claville. Hey, I'm Will LaVise. He's Eric Claville. You're tuning into LaVise and Claville, where we give it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective, because it's like that. And that's the way it is. So let's get to the show. This next installment in our black tax series is politics over profit. We know that historically black communities have been systematically deprived of the ability to build wealth at the same levels as whites from segregation, cutting blacks off from engaging a broader economic community to urban renewal, destroying black business districts to black communities continuing to be undercapitalized. Music mogul Pharrell Williams has been among the current generation of entrepreneurs calling for greater economic justice for black and brown communities. And on October 28th, 2021, Pharrell Williams held a forum at Norfolk State University to discuss full potential of the cities of Norfolk and Virginia Beach, which is his native city. And the panel included business leaders and experts, including yours truly, Eric Claville. So William said uh, one of the things that he wanted to accomplish was he wanted business leaders to invest in the Hampton Roads region, which is what Norfolk, uh, Virginia Beach, Hampton, Newport News area is called. And I quote, he said, for too long, it's been politics over profit. That just doesn't make sense. So, Claville, you know, you were there. Talk about the forum and uh, what that experience was like and what you think people got out of it, what came across. Right. So, Will, you know, the forum itself was called Elephant in the Room. This Elephant in the Room. You can go, you can um, Google it. It's on Yahoo, you have stories, Black Enterprise wrote a story on it. Essence Magazine also printed a story. Uh, you can look at nsu.edu and look at our story that we did on it as well. And uh, also it was covered nas- internationally. Right. Uh, the uh, Zambian uh, Celebrity Magazine did a full spread story on it also. So that's uh, the, excellent. <laughs> yeah, so it had coverage all the way over in East Africa because he is an international star and a native-born uh, Virginia Beach, loves his home, uh, right. grew up uh, loving uh, the Legion, Spartan Legion band. We yeah, he talked to the about band it. all the time. Uh, so that was his inspiration. So he always felt a connection to HBCUs. He always felt that at least some of what he's doing should be at HBCU, and he loves Norfolk State University. Uh, so with that, we were fortunate enough to be able to host that, uh, that forum, to have right. that conversation. Uh, and it just shows the influence. I just want to take a pause here to say it shows the influence that HBCUs have on people, our people, and the things that they're doing across the world. Uh, So he's definitely not one shy of acknowledging, like like a lot of us, you know, our HBCU education and background and and things that we're doing. He even called it uh, uh, a gem, you know, of talent, you know, a golden a golden gym, a place of, of talent of right. HBCUs. So with that being the case, you know, the reason why this came about, right, uh, is because after his very successful something in the water, 
which was <laughs> tremendously successful. Right. Pre, pre-pandemic, you know, 2019, pre-pandemic, great concert, Virginia Beach water for Ocean Front. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, I'm talking about stars upon stars upon stars. Yeah. Look, when he picks up the phone and says, hey, I need you here, people people run, you know, because he's he's really that connector uh, that uh, he talked about not wanting to be uh, a, a toxic person, but a person right. that's a connector. Yeah. Uh, so, but he wanted to be a nutrient when they asked him, right. <laughs> not be a toxin. He wanted to be a nutrient and exactly. a toxic environment that he's been talking about around. Exactly. And uh, with that, with that conference, like you said, it was pre-pandemic. And, and not only was it just a concert, because I don't want people to think it was just music, people on the beach, even though it was a, when you saw it, it was just, you know, uh, at least 100,000 people came throughout those several days. Mm-hmm. But he also had empowerment conferences, uh, forums in the conference center. So it was very similar to the Essence Festival, what we grew up with in Louisiana, down in New Orleans, has held mm-hmm. uh, those empowerment conference uh, pieces. And then, of course, the super stages and, and right. uh, the stage where you have the music and so forth. Um, so with that, there was, because of his success, right, mm-hmm. uh, he, there was, he felt politics got involved, didn't feel like it, it did get involved to where uh, basically he had to walk to a different beat. So as a drum, he couldn't drum to his own beat. He had to go to a different beat. And it was just so much pushback, pushback to the point where COVID helped to save, you know, the 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 uh, the actual concert from being canceled that year. Really? A lot of yeah. Really? Because because of the level of toxicity that was that was involved. So but even finally, after even after the success millions of, of dollars. Cancer, millions of dollars. You know, I think I think the number I saw was like a twenty-five million dollar impact to the local community. I think it was a little right. higher. It was around thirty-six million. Okay, thirty-six million impact. So yeah. you're saying that even after one that, weekend. one weekend, right? Where I mean, yeah, I mean, because twenty-five, thirty-six, one weekend is that's significant. So you're saying that after that, there was actually a lot of pushback that to the point where it was possible that there wasn't going to be a follow-up. Event COVID. I mean, what's what was the deal with that? Well, again, when we talk about politics, we talk about uh, gatekeepers. So mm-hmm. you have gatekeepers that basically control certain areas, and it's you know it, it, all all places are like that, right? I mean, when we look at Congress, we have gatekeepers in Congress. We have um, we have gatekeepers in the entertainment industry, gatekeepers mm-hmm. all over, right? Now, emerging markets, you don't really have those gatekeepers. The things are emerging, but mm-hmm. um, but ultimately. He felt, and a lot of us feel, that profit, you know, good economics should take precedence, right? right. Uh, to the point where you have had a mass exodus of year, decades of individuals in government of middle management that left the city because mm. of a lot of issues. But his conference wasn't the only one uh, that was pulled out, but two others left the city as well to go to the neighboring city of Norfolk. Hmm. Um, so... What was the uh, Patriot Festival, you know, of all yeah. festivals that left and came to Norfolk. So um, you're saying so, there was a change in sort of the political climate, so so but, people came in a place that had less of an affinity to these well, events. No, it wasn't a change. It was a political climate that always existed. So you yeah. had people that wanted to leave the, uh, because of that. But like I said, you know, when we're using this situation 
as an example of what takes place and limits African-American upper mobility as well. Right. You know, so with that, Will, uh, we also saw other festivals leave. We saw uh, individuals just leave management of government that had decades of experience uh, because of their frustration, you know, with mm -hmm. things that were going on. And these were white individuals as well. So they're not just African-American because there is a old guard that doesn't get the new guard. The new guard understands, right? Hey, right. things opening up, you know, you got to be more inclusive, more diverse. Right. And a lot of individuals our age and a bit younger, we grew up in an integrated society. Right. I mean, so we understand, like, at, at that concert, you know, you had more uh, white individuals than you had black individuals, right. you know, because that type of music, hip-hop. Right. It crosses over, brings a lot of different groups of people together. You know, Absolutely. the interesting thing, you know, you were mentioning, you know, HBCUs and the impact is that a lot of people do not know the history that goes back with Virginia Beach and the Black community yeah. and young people and events actually goes back to the debacle that happened back in the 80s with a Black um, Greek, uh, Black Beach Week. Yeah. Or black Greek, Greek uh, uh, and forgive me, this black is my error. Right, right, and and it was a you know it was a a total mess where uh, a lot of black students from HBCUs like mine, Lincoln, yours, Southern, all over the place, Howard, come come down to Virginia Beach for uh, spring break activities, hanging out just like kids do, right, and that turned into a situation that's reminiscent of, you know, you think about just recently down at the Texas border where you oh. had uh, police, you had Texas, you had um, border patrol on horseback, you know, uh, chasing down um, Haitians. It had that kind of, that kind of visual vibe is what was going on in Virginia Beach uh, oceanfront back in the eighties. And so for several years, Right. A lot of the tension of the black community, a lot of uh, folks were like, I'm boycotting Virginia Beach. I'm not having anything to do with that. And it was actually some years took a couple of decades, some years later for the Funk Fest to be an event that actually yeah. brought back a yeah, lot of the people right. from that generation, such as myself, because I've yeah. been at the Funk Fest, you know, as a you know, as a as a media a, a speaker on stage and all of that, it brought that generation for the first time said, okay, I'm going to give Virginia Beach a shot and started coming back and embracing that event, which has now led to this event, you know, the, something at the water. And so to hear that you still have these tensions and Virginia Beach knowing that it wanted to get past that blotch on its, um, you know, in its past, as, as in its reputation, that you still have to, you said, to your point, old guard that is still rooted in that old mentality that we don't really want uh, this kind of, quote unquote, this kind of element here in our community. Exactly. And well, that, that is the history of it. And you're exactly right. And what he wanted to do, he wanted to, you know, kind of bridge that history. I mean, bridge right. those those generations. And he did. I mean, that was a truly successful, I mean, uh, uh, entire weekend. And everybody was looking forward to the second, I mean, the follow-up, because there was hesitation. There was hesitation. One of my, 
one of my colleagues uh, who was a city councilman, who is a city councilman of Virginia Beach, he was the only one that was really pushing it for it. Um, and he was, and again, someone that also grew up uh, from Norfolk State, ended up going right. to the NFL and coming back and serving on the city council. And uh, he really pushed and said, look, this is what we need to do. And he stood there. Uh, mm-hmm. And keep in mind, people didn't know, like, oh, no, what's going to happen? We're bringing all these hip-hop guys here in right. town. Right. right, But a lot of their kids were there. <laughs> more so. <laughs> Again, it was, it was about 60%, if not 65%, uh, non-African-American, more so right. white. Because that's you know, who's so, embracing the music. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it was a huge success. So they were excited for the second year. And, of course, the toxicity of it, he said, I'm not going to hold it. He just kept it. And the business leaders, the, the business leaders, the majority of them were actually being very vocal, saying, we got to get this together. Right. We're losing money. We got to be more inclusive. You know, but again, the gatekeepers are saying, well, you know, I think everything's fine, you know, and, and just waiting it out. But when you have festival after festival leave and you get this black eye right. and the neighboring city, which is the city of Norfolk, which is uh, not a uh, beach city, but we do have water. Water, of course, in Hampton Rose. Will, you lived here for, for years as well with that. Exactly. Yeah. You, know? you need some water. I mean, you, you, right. you, you need yeah. <laughs> You're going to get water. <laughs> so to, to get anywhere, you got to cross a bridge and go through a tunnel and then across another bridge. So, right. you know, water is everywhere. The water goes everywhere. So what, what, what he wanted to do, he wanted to have a conversation. Uh, about poli- profit over politics. And with that, that conversation was had. And what he did was he not just brought local business leaders, but what he did, he brought local business leaders to be present. But he brought his, uh, in, he brought people that he's done business with, private equity. So for an entire day, half a day and evening, I was fortunate enough to, to coordinate and, and host over $3 trillion mm. in managed assets, individuals that represented over $3 trillion in managed assets to talk about their investment of emerging markets, young entrepreneurs, diverse markets, both uh, South, both uh, markets in, in Latin America, markets in Africa, markets across the globe, right. you know, investing $5 billion here for this initiative, $100 million here for this initiative. Um, and some very well-known private equity groups such as um, BlackRock, SoftBank, and, and, and the like. Okay. And, of course, you know, uh, we talked about Black Ambition, uh, hit uh, Pharrell's uh, initiative to invest in young African-American uh, business owners. Uh, yeah, he announced that back in, um, I believe that was back in 2020 when he did the virtual yeah. commencement speech at Norfolk State. Yeah. And um, he talked about that and also talked about um, that nonprofit, um, yeah, which was yeah. very powerful. Yeah. Which you, you actually had a student from Hampton, um, I believe her name was, let's see, who was actually the winner, uh, Khadija Doso. I hope I'm pronouncing yeah. that right. Yeah, um, she actually won a uh, quarter million dollars for investment. Right, $150,000, and then Hampton also got $75,000 in unrestricted funds, you know, to help develop the entrepreneurship. I mean, that's that's... You know, that's powerful stuff. I mean, that's one of the things that's um, you know, that's in, impressive about, you know, Pharrell Williams is that, you know, he is one of the among, and I've always been as a hip-hop kid, a hip-hop baby, impressed with the entrepreneurial 
aspects of hip hop. And a lot of the brothers right. and sisters recognizing that, you know, it's not just about the music, but it's also about the development and the, uh, the entrepreneurship, the owning of your, um, of your um, intellectual property and, and all of these things. And then in de- actually developing, you know, communities. I mean, it, it, it's been impressive. I wanted to break down. You said the forum was broken down into, what was it? Three parts. Three parts. You said, yeah. Who we've been, who we are now and who will become. Exactly. Talk, so talk about with that, that, yeah, so with that, you know, it talked about the history. And the first one was talking about the history of of just uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, which is the history of a lot of African-Americans and a lot of African-Americans in our country. How uh, we were blocked out from opportunity. Um, and we've talked extensively about that. You can tune into the Colville Report and listen to how we also discuss laws and public policy and how it impacts our lives. And, you know, with that, it just basically shed light upon to those who were there to say, listen, this is what, this is why we're in this place. We're in now because of the history that we have yet to deal with. And it's just history. It's, it's, it happened. It's not to say that the people here are bad. It's not to say that the people here are inherent or are good. What it's to say is that because of what happened, there are some of you that benefit and a lot of us that do not. Right. So we got to recognize and call a thing a thing. Call it like it is. Right. Uh, we didn't just drop it. Here. We didn't just all drop here just yesterday right. and start running the race <laughs> together with all the same equality. I mean, there's a history of um, a, a whole segment of the population, groups of people, you know, being systematically prevented from, as we said at the top of the show, engaging in the broader economic development and wealth. So things as simple as having land and being able to work the land to build wealth, Black people, Indigenous people, systematically uh, locked out of those kinds of, uh, you know, opportunities. So, you know, you should be, if, if you embrace that understanding that if you're, grandfather left you something several was able to acquire land and hand that down to you then you must and how that has benefited you today you must also be able to embrace and start to have some openness to the fact that if you're somebody else's great great grandfather was prevented from having any opportunities like that it's got to it's got to impact his descendants today absolutely and will you hit the nail on the head that's exactly what you know, we want that they wanted to get across, and mm-hmm. and they did. The second the second panel was you know where where we are now, right? So we talked about investment investment, and there were individuals on the stage from private equity groups um, that are currently doing things now. A uh, young brother from BlackRock uh, mm-hmm. who was on there, also the head of his Black Ambition uh, group as well. Uh, the rapper Pushy T, who also has a foundation. Uh, which I had an opportunity to meet with uh, the head of their foundation. Come to find out we're actually from the same hometown. Uh, so, you know, it was a lot of great connections there and then, and then others. And, and, and we'll be, you know, it talked about what we're, what those individuals, the impact they're making in the community. Now. But then what we can be, that's, that was the forum. That was the mm-hmm. panel that I was involved in. 
right. uh, where I was on the stage of about two trillion of that one trillion, uh, three trillion in, yeah. in uh, managed assets, and it was just phenomenal listening to the stories of their impact of that they're making across the globe. You know, you have these individuals who are of, of different. I, I think it was probably maybe one American or maybe two Americans on the stage. Everyone was, of course, from diverse countries, right. all the way from either Nigeria or from uh, Australia or, or, and then, or somewhere other countries, but converged here in the United States being educated and then here on the campus of HBC, the largest HBCU in the Commonwealth, yeah. uh, Norfolk State University in the city of Norfolk. And just listening to the impact that they're making, not thinking about the political makeup of the area, but thinking about the people, right. thinking about the, the needs of the people, what the ideas of the people, what it takes to get individuals there. And then my, I talked about how everything that we, I kind of closed, I, I was the last speaker and I summed it up. And uh, basically I talked about how Everything that was was discussed was intentional. You got to be intentional to make true change. Right. It just doesn't happen, like you said, Will. Doesn't fall out the sky. You got to be intentional. Right. You got to be intentional to admit what the wrong is. Intentional to be have a focus, being purposeful to correct the wrong, and then thirdly, be intentional to do what you need to do in order to make the biggest impact that you possibly can. And ultimately, I also talked about how we can't just do this out of goodwill. It happens. But in order to have long-term impact, we need accountability. And that's where policy comes in. Policy equals accountability. Whether it's corporate policy, whether it's local policy, whether it's um, state or governmental policy, whatever it is, policy equals accountability. Because now we have some guidelines to go by. Now we have something written down. And... I talked about my theory of law, policy, and politics. I mean, law and public policy, how it controls three things in its intent or in its effect, and that's to control people's beliefs and and resources. And then lastly, I talked about the pendulum, the theory of the pendulum of change. Uh Uh Uh-oh, that's that's sounding like critical race theory or something. That's (laughs) that's not like that book. That bogeyman word. (laughs) Well, you know, the pendulum change is, you know, we're here now, but now it swings to the change, swings to the extreme, right? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a coin, heads is one side, it swings to the extreme, (laughs) it's it's tails. It just is. But it's something that causes that change and something that causes it to go back and forth. And what causes that change is the intentionality of those groups that we have there. You want to create real change. Secondly, what causes it to swing back and forth, a pendulum itself, or invisible forces, I call it, whether it be social forces, whatever they may be, which individuals on both sides of that pendulum go through this kind of a dance of saying, well, maybe we should go this far, maybe we should go this far, maybe we go this far, this far, and eventually, Will, it settles in the middle. And when it settles in the middle, we're there and then we can, that's where policy, policy is made and solidified in the middle. That's is how that, it happens. Is that swinging back and forth? Is that where the politics is uh, interplaying with the with the situation? Is that where the politics over, you know, profit and development becomes an issue or? 
Well, I, I would say, yeah, you could say it's politics or you could just call it negotiation. Hmm. You know, be, being able to go back because I can't come to you if you've been operating this way for years and say we're going to operate this way without some pushback. <laughs> you hmm. know, you're going to pull that thing back and say, wait a minute. But that gives us an opportunity to talk. And of course, politics is about that negotiation, talking, and then some other other things. Uh, but for the most part, that's where we are. Uh, so with that being the case, if we the change, the power of force to create change are those individuals who are intentional, mm -hmm. those individuals who are purposeful, those individuals that say we are going to go this way because this is the best way for us to go and for us to make the best, the most impactful, and the greatest change that we can make. As you were sitting there and listening and, you know, even during your own presentation, I mean, what what kind of aha moments were prevalent, you know, from you, from any of the other speakers or what did you hear that was that was a aha moment? You know, for me, what was an aha moment was when Pharrell ended, he had the last words. He says, mm -hmm. I haven't given up, you know, mm -hmm. on myself. He said, I want this to be an opportunity. And, and and he did make a statement. He said, he did say he promised people that he wouldn't talk about politics tonight. But he did. And now he said, you are correct. Everything you just said is right. And uh, we actually had, we spoke and had some words afterwards, after we embraced and so forth. It was a really good moment um, about, he, he agreed with everything I said. Uh, but he wants to bring people together. Mm -hmm. And really... What came to me was, again, how he said, I haven't given up on my city. I want to make a difference. To me, that's, that's showing people that how intentional and how thoughtful and how just good nature that, that he is. I will say this, too. That when we did have the mayor in the house, of both Virginia Beach and Norfolk and mm -hmm. other individuals and, and all business leaders, and they were put on notice mm -hmm. to say things have got to change. But... We're also excited about the opportunity to really, uh, what he wanted to show was the value of HBCUs right. and the value. And, and just in, 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 you know, we had a private reception afterwards, and there was only uh, a handful of us there, maybe 50 or so. And in that reception, he talked about how he wanted to show, you know, what we can do, this moment, what we can do as a a human race, as a people right. and a human race. Right. And, you know, he wanted to be at a white glove level and he wanted to be perfect. And it was. Mm -hmm. You you remember uh, there was a, a uh, well-known uh, former reporter who's now a communications uh, consultant here in the area um, who made a statement, you know, and they interviewed him. And uh, he said, they interviewed him and said, what, what do you think happened here? tonight. And he was, he said, listen, he said, you have white, but he said the white business leadership that came mm -hmm. to the campus of Norfolk State University, not knowing what to expect. He said, but what they got was they got a crash course in social justice and they were put on notice mm -hmm. of the change that's going to take place. <clears throat> so that needs to take place. So he was, uh, I mean, he, it was a, not just a forum, but it was, uh, they had chefs there. Uh, he had representatives of his school there. 
mm -hmm. yellow that represented. Um, you rep uh, they had youth chefs that work with the uh, real chefs that were there. It was just a top class event, hands down, across the board. And it was absolutely a beautiful night. And it didn't start raining until after it was all over. So we were praying for that too. <laughs> you know, I, I think about um, you saying his statement on he hadn't given up on his city because another important element of all of this is the death of his cousin, uh, Donovan Lynch, who was um, uh, died at the hands of a police officer, you know, in a shooting. And so this case is very much under uh, investigation. He's uh, Pharrell and the family are calling for a federal investigation into this. So this is also part of this, this mix of you're trying to get over a city's history and blotch of, you know, racial tension, racial injustice. And then here he's trying to play an important role in this healing and this moving forward with his event, with his activities, with his nonprofit. And then he's hit personally, you know, close to home again with the same issue that Black people in Hampton Roads, quite frankly, and in America, period, have been dealing with since day one. You know, this this um, uh, being confronted with this kind of violence, you know, in the midst of an authority that is supposed to be here to protect and serve. So I would imagine that tension, that vibe was very much present. And but to hear him. And look at the interviews and hear him talking about, I want to be a nutrient. I want to be a healer. I mean, that had to be impactful as well. You said you had some private conversations. Yeah, I know private means private, but is there anything that or, or else that was shared, you know, not necessarily on camera or on mic that, um, you know, you're at, at liberty to maybe let people know about? Sure. So uh, not so much um, other than what, what was recorded, I'll say that. But what I will say mm -hmm. is that I had the fortunate opportunity to actually conduct the panel uh, for his cousin mm -hmm. um, and his uh, for his father, uh, the father and the, uh, the uncle. And I hosted that forum at on the campus of Norfolk State as well. Uh, Reverend Barber uh, also... Mm -hmm came through and uh, he was online uh, and he was a part of the panel discussion. And we had several individuals that were there. Uh, so I got to know the family very, very intimately. I got to know the situation very intimately. And I got to know a lot of other things uh, surrounding that. So it was a great opportunity, again, to come to solutions. And keep in mind, you know, this, everything that we do, it's about being solution-based. Right. You know what the problems are, Will. I mean, we all know the problems. The question becomes, how can we be solution-based to solve those problems? Um, so other than what he told me, you know, he said he, he he's never heard anyone put um, politics and law in, into uh, something like that uh, before. So he really loved uh, how I put it together and basically summed it up. Uh, but moving forward uh, is really all about solutions. It's all about solutions, all about 
finding solutions for the problem and bringing people together, not pointing fingers, but coming together like this to create the biggest impact through economics. And that's a different, that's a different uh, uh, approach, Will, because a lot of times we are looking at creating change from a civil rights issue and social issue, social yeah. justice piece through marching, uh, through you know the law and the like. But he wants to do it through economics. And that brings to mind, we were talking before this uh, this show, you know, the debate, the famous debate <laughs> between Du Bois and uh, Washington. Right. You know, where oh, the boys you know, in, yeah, Booker T. Exactly. Yeah. You know, where Washington said, hey, you know, let's not get into the civil rights push. Let's deal with economics first. Because if we create the best product, green knows no color. You know, if, if you create the best product, people are going to come to you. He was exactly right. Well, exactly right. Um, you know, and it goes to the story of how, um, you know, the students, uh, from Tuskegee made the best bricks. And they made the best bricks because people, everybody came and bought their bricks, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and the like, and how he was very uh, intentional of controlling his image and working with some of the largest benefactors of his time in order to get monies. And if you adjust for inflation, I've, I saw one um, study, one article where it said, he had raised the equivalent of over $1 billion for Tuskegee University during his time. I mean, that is tremendous. If you, I mean, if you really think about that. But he, but again, Du Bois, and I'll let you talk about Du Bois, but even Marcus Garvey was so attracted, you know, to that vision and that to that route of achieving equity and equality, you know, that he was inspired to form his movement. Um, and of course, he didn't have a chance to meet Booker T. Washington because he had unfortunately passed away uh, before he had a chance to meet him. But talk a little bit, a little bit about Du Bois and where do you think we can go as as African Americans today in order to achieve that type of equity? Well, I think Du Bois's approach is more about the not being um, uh, anti-business development, but being about intellectual development, being about gaining political power, being about getting respect and being treated um, uh, as human beings in that way. I actually, actually think that both of them were correct. And the the irony is that you see it in Martin Luther King, because because Martin Luther King, when he was going, before he went off the scene, what was he talking about before he went off the scene? He had recognized that gaining political um, empowerment was important, but it had its limits. Yeah. And, he, and he recognized that there was a need for a shift to economic development and empowerment. So why I say both of them were correct, because, for example, let's look at Black Wall Street. Let's look at it. Here's a town, Black folk are self-sufficient, are um, having their own businesses, supplying the the dollars circulating in the community. But then what happens? As soon as uh, uh, whites decide they they, they need an excuse to go and destroy that, 
they're able to do that without impunity, with no with no repercussions. So if you take that view and you look at it, you say, okay, you can develop economically, but if you don't have the law to protect those interests, then you end up with a Black Wall Street situation. So you actually need both. Those kinds of protections that were able to be gained through the civil rights movement, through the law, we are a nation of laws, are critical also to be able to protect you as you're developing business and wealth. So I think a lot of times, you know, I, I think that um, both of them were actually correct and they were men of their times. And I think that we are in a time now where absolutely there's a need for black economic development, but not at the not at the expense of continuing to develop black uh, political power and being conscious of the law and, and all of those things. I think that we've got to fully immerse ourselves into the entire society. We've fought in being segregated. You are locked out of that ability, as we said at the, at the beginning of the show, to be able to engage in the broader society and broader community. So you're always limited. People like to reminisce about, you know, back in the day when we had our own communities, we had this, we had that, we were self-sufficient. Yeah, that's true. But a lot of folks were still struggling and, and, and was broke. <laughs> All right? It wasn't like back then, Black Lives People was living on high on the hog. And a lot of those people who lived in Tulsa, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, were servants leaving the community, going and had jobs in white community, working as servants, and then coming coming home in the community. So again, there was still this limit. There's still this limit of being able to fully exercise yourself as a human being and as a uh, um uh a citizen of these United States. And that's what Du Bois was talking about. That's what, that's, that's what uh, you know, Frederick Douglass was talking about. That's what, you know, all say we're, we should be, we're full, we are human beings. We should be full citizens. We should not accept a lower um, station. Um, but Booker T, as I saw, was more of a strategy of, okay, we will eventually, by making ourselves indispensable, we'll raise, you know, our station. But I think it. I think it requires both. I think you can't. It's not a this or that. It requires both. Yeah. Well, I I have to agree with you, but also I like to, like you say, don't don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, as as the saying says, right? As it goes. So political influence is very key. But the economics, and and I want to give a. I think the economics is number one because uh, I want to give this example. The Asian hate bill and the George Floyd crime bill, right? Both essentially were doing the same thing. You know, there were some provisions that was there that addressed uh, crime and how you handle um, the black community through a criminal justice aspect. Mm -hmm. But the Asian hate bill also addressed, you know, criminal uh, aspects as relates to hate crimes against that community which was the right thing to do. I mean, we saw some horrific, uh, I'm, I'm really surprised we didn't see it after, you know, the internment of the Japanese. Uh, but the bill finally made its way. It was the right thing to do. But that bill was passed with 
extraordinary speed. Mm-hmm. And the George Floyd crime bill basically is dead in the water. Now, which group would you say has more uh, political power or political influence? I would say that the African-American community has more political representatives. And we can swing elections, as we are, we're going to talk about later in another episode, the impact of the 2021 midterm elections and the impact of the 2020 uh, presidential election in the, uh, in the Black community. Uh, but the, the economic the economic impact or influence, I don't think was, is matched still uh, with the Asian American community. So- But is there another aspect of that? Is there another aspect of, well, it's more easily politically expedient to pass that bill with less pushback, less repercussions to do that, and you get a twofer, you're still doing something for people of color, Is is that an element that's in there as well? That is less risky to pass such a bill than it would be to pass a bill for you know relating to African Americans. And now the next thing that's going to happen. Oh, the next thing they'll want is is critical race theory taught in, in elementary school, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the, the that's the fear, isn't it? Well, you know, you bring up a very important point because you know. You do have the fear aspect, right? And some call it fear mongering. But mm-hmm. you do have the fear aspect. And, and I think that's one thing where, um, you know, you have to be mindful uh, that that could be a major factor uh, in it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's very tricky. I mean, there is no, and I think with you and I talking, I think people can understand there's no one size that fits all. Right. You know, there is no... Um, uh, easy fix because you also have different communities, right? So for individuals like you, you, you and I, who are college educated, doctorate level, professional degrees, and the like, to us, economics is, is more important, and we have more influence in that area. Uh, and we're not too much concerned. Well, not, I would say too much concerned about, but the other area is less likely, right? That we would be concerned, even though we know, and you and I understand, as black men. Black fathers uh, raising black sons. That's just as, that that part on the street is just as important because right. once we take off this blazer, once we leave the office, you know, you know, people look at us as just being another black man in America. Hmm. And I think twenty twenty showed that with the, with the bird watcher, uh, Chris oh, in, uh, in New York. Definitely. You know, but but you know, I, I wonder about that again with the what is more politically expedient and acceptable. And again, we both agree that that Asian hate crime bill should have been passed. It absolutely should have been passed. But I also look at, and again, a lot of times it's, it's race being played. And then it's also coming back to the green. So for example, let's think about the shooting that happened in Connecticut during the Obama administration with the children being gunned down. In Connecticut, right? Who in their right mind would say, come on, we've got to do something to address this situation? But what happened? Congress somehow found a way to not do anything. Anything. And so and and these are these were predominantly white children, right? 
So what was behind that? Again, it's not as politically good idea to do that, even though it's the right thing to do. Politically, it's problematic. It could, you know, I could lose my position. I could lose my, you know, my donations and funding over this. I can lose my shot. So I think that that is also an element that politicians, you know, you know better than I do. I know as a journalist, I haven't covered them, but you know, as a as a researcher, as a consultant, they weigh all of these different things, and doing the right thing, a lot of times, takes a it takes a back seat. It takes, it doesn't even make it. It doesn't even make it on. It doesn't even make it in the car. It doesn't even make it on the bus. You know, if it doesn't hold right. So, I think that's a that's an element that's in here too. So. You know, again, when we talk about the black tax on African-Americans, we got to look at, you know, what is, you know, it's, it's not an easy fix. You know, one, th- one time you, you have profit. I mean, you have wealth. But even though you're wealthy, you're an international star. Mm-hmm. If a small group of gate holders say absolutely no, you know, to this black man, it's absolutely no. Right. And there's there's not a lot you can do. Um, outside of galvanizing a group of individuals to say, hey, we can push the narrative, but there's no guarantee there. You know, but at the same time, you know, when we band together uh, for social issues and marching traditionally and pushing policy for accountability, then you have then you have true change. But again, like you said, you need both. You know, and for us, as we can see, you know, that pendulum still swings hmm. back and forth. Back and forth. Well, so, I, I'm I'm impressed still with Pharrell and others in the uh, hip hop community. Um, Killer Mike is another example of somebody who understands economic development yeah. and is pushing for that. And I think that it's it's a great thing to see, and it gives me hope for the generation coming behind them yeah. that is looking at them and emulating them, and especially on these black colleges that they're realizing, they're thinking in terms of when I get out of here, it's not, I want to just go and work for someone. When I get out of here, I want to go and start a business. And and even if I have to work for someone in the meantime, I'm going to have a side hustle or I'm going to do them simultaneously, but I'm going to develop, you know, my multiple uh, revenue streams because I believe that, Martin Luther King was very much right at that point when he was leaving and recognizing, no, we need economic development. And he was speaking very forcefully to those issues of how we were we're spending so much money on war that is hamstringing our ability to be able to address the economic disparities that exist in the community. And here we are just been in America's longest war, 20 years over in Afghanistan. And what do we have to show for it? You know, and what do we have to show for it? And and you and I know, I know from covering, being a columnist in that area and a, and a journalist in that area, that it's the military families that oftentimes are the ones who least want to be engaged in a war. They're patriotic. They're doing their job. They love their country. But they suffer the greatest sacrifice. It's, it's those soldiers. Like, we see the passing of uh, Colin Powell. And you know, as a, I mean, that's a soldier's soldier, and he was reluctant to go to war because he understood what it was all about. 
in, in the cost, not just financial, but in, in human capital. And so it's, it's, it's really important that at this time, again, coming on the heels of being in America's longest war, and America has perpetually been at war. People need to understand that from the, from the wars against the, the uh, Native Americans on to the present day, America has been perpetually at war. Maybe now we are entering a time where we can put down those 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 guns for a second. Well, yeah, I, I know the the, the journal the journalist of me is coming back and saying, All right, All right. Well, no, I, say, well, I, I don't no, know about that. No, but, <laughs> but hopefully, um, from an economic standpoint, that in, in our in our community we can see the need for both, with a strong emphasis on wealth building and developing uh, economically. Because without that, yeah. um, we're, we're just going to continue to go in the wrong direction. Absolutely. People. Absolutely. So, again, we want to thank all of you for joining us for this segment. Our time is up. As we discuss the black tax, mm-hmm. profit over politics, the impact of African-Americans in upper mobility and economic upper mobility uh, in the current and past environment. Where do we go from here? Hmm. For those of us, again, that want to take a look at the forum that took place, uh, go to Elephant in the Room. Google Elephant in the Room. Mm-hmm. You can uh, look at the Yahoo story, the uh, Black Enterprise, Essence Magazine, or at www.nsu.edu. Also, you can go to YouTube and put Elephant in the Room at NSU. And for those of you that want to continue to follow us, share, like, join us on our social media at Lovice and Cleville. That's at Lovice and Cleville, or go to our website at www.lovicecleville.com. And until next time, God bless. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to another episode of LaViste and Claville. Make sure you subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. For information or to connect with LaViste and Claville, check out our website at www.lavisteplaville.com. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to At the LaViste and Claville on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. This has been the latest episode of LaViste and Claville.